Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God. Because we witnessed against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise. In, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. And you're still in your sins. Then those also have fallen asleep in Christ, have perished. Seth is perished and died like a dog. You'll never see him again. If Christ has not been raised. And if there is not a resurrected Christian life. Verse 19. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Or I like how the New King James says, we're of all men most miserable. Last Sunday, we looked at a truth that we must be broken. And we, if you recall, I took that egg and it fell on the rock and it was poured out. And then it was put on the oven. That's what we were illustrating. Putting it on the oven and it turned into scrambled eggs. A complete different life from that hard-shelled egg. I've seen in my own Christian life and I've heard it from others that there is a strong truth preached and emphasis in my Christian experience, in my experience with Christ, that I must daily take up my cross and die. I must fall on the rock and give up my will. I must give up my own flesh, deny myself, take up my cross and follow Him. And what I've noticed is that there's the emphasis seems to be shifted, focused on giving up and dying. Giving up and dying, giving up and dying. And so as it begins to just simply, my attitude begins to be an attitude of death. Constant death. And you know what I find in my life when that is the emphasis and the attitude of my thought life and heart? I become of all men most to be pitied. I, be, I begin to pity myself, first of all. And then other people also begin to pity me. And I begin to view this experience of taking up my cross and following Jesus like I looked at Jesus for so long and just like those women who, when they seen Jesus walk on the way, carrying His cross, began to weep for Him. And what did Jesus say? Do not weep for me. Do not weep for me. And I heard those words of Jesus saying that to me. Do not weep for me, Phil. Do not weep for yourself in taking up this cross. Stop it. Stop pitying yourself in this daily taking up this cross. Your emphasis is imbalanced. And if you leave it that way, it will become incorrect, incomplete, 
and incorrect in your life. So if you've listened to that sermon last Sunday, please listen to this one too. It'll be, it'll lead you into an incorrect, incomplete truth and experience of Jesus. And you will have a pity me attitude of taking up your cross and following Jesus because your faith will be in your death. And that becomes worthless. What worth is that? It's not worth anything. Not to Christ, not to yourself, not to the world. A dead person isn't worth anything. That's why we put them six feet under and cover them up. All they would do if they would be laying here, if we somehow want to preserve Seth's body, and for the last four months he'd still be laying here in a box, and we'd all be crying over him and weeping over him. I doubt any of us would want to come in this room this morning. He would stink so bad. And that's exactly what an unresurrected attitude and life with Jesus Christ becomes. A stinking savor of Jesus. And after a while, people just go, Wow, that life of Christ you profess? I'm just going to come and walk around pitching my nose around and around you. Or maybe stopping your ears because you just don't want to hear all this whining and complaining and the whole attitude is one of death around here. Is that your Christian experience? Is that your attitude every morning when the Lord Jesus sets the cross in front of you and says, come follow me? Unless your faith is in first that he's not in the grave anymore, but Christ rose from that grave. A resurrected, power-filled life that glorifies His Father and gives life to you and I. And then that same life, as in tells us in Romans chapter 8. Turn your Bibles with me to this verse. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive Because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him, Jesus, who raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body through his spirit who indwells you. And so I've seen there has to be a life Not a focus on the death, but a focus on his life. And when I put my faith in his resurrection, that he now ever lives to intercede for me and to give me that life through his Holy Spirit, then I don't become of all men most to be pitied. I don't have this pity me attitude and sorrow in my heart that I must take up this cross. There's a joy set before me. And that will give me strength, endurance to take up my cross and follow Him for the joy set before me as it was before Him. In Hebrews 12, He tells us, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. And though Jesus did bear His cross and there was pain in the offering, there was a suffering There was a joy in his spirit that he didn't want any pity. And so, dear believer, 
dear disciple of Jesus Christ, if you have a pitiful attitude about taking up your cross and following him, then the joy and the power of the resurrection will evade you. It'll just kind of be like that cloud that you're chasing, but you'll never actually experience it in your spirit that while you take up your cross and you deny your flesh and your own will, there's a joy springing up in your spirit that is a well of river, of living water. That's underneath like a river giving water to the roots of a tree in a desert. That's how it is for real when our spirits are experiencing the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And without this, yeah, you'll be pitied. You are to be pitied. What a woeful life. And if we miss this truth in 1 Corinthians 15, dear brothers and sisters, we will struggle every day and every time that the Lord Jesus takes a cross and sets it in front of our lives and asks us to be broken on it. And you know what our struggle will be? Lord, what's the purpose? You will simply see the experience of death in front of you and you'll be overwhelmed by it and you'll be disheartened and discouraged and eventually maybe depressed. And you'll have a woeful, deathful attitude toward that cross. I've seen this reality in my life and the Lord keeps reminding me and encouraging me Every time, Phil, I want to change your attitude. And that's the word in Philippians chapter 2 where he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, that though he was in the form of God, he didn't make himself to be, to take on that, but he took on the form of a man and he humbled himself even to the death of the cross. But what was his attitude while he humbled himself and took the death of the cross? His attitude was one of joy in his inner man, springing up to his heavenly Father, saying, your will is being done. See, so easy, it's easy for us to get caught up in this, not my will, not my will, oh, my will, the struggle of my will. And I I lose the perspective of what his purpose and His will looks like in my life. And the joy of living that. Let's not lose it, dear brother, sister. Perhaps you need a resurrection. Maybe it's just in one area of your life where you're struggling to take up that cross. You need a resurrected power to infuse your spirit. You need to change your attitude and your focus from the cross to the joy set before you. And then, yes, there'll be an endurance that we all must do, but there'll be an endurance with joy. In Jeremiah chapter 18, the Lord impressed this so deeply on my heart. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I shall announce my words to you. And so I want to take you to the potter's house today. And perhaps the Lord has some words that he wants to announce to you today in your life.
the purpose of His loving discipleship care over you, the purpose of Him setting these experiences of death to your will, to your flesh, to your pride, to whatever it is in your life, the Lord wants to take you and I to the potter's house today. Verse 3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and there he was making something on the wheel. But the vessel that he was making of clay was spoiled in the hand of the potter. So he remade it into another vessel as it pleased the potter to make. Let's watch this video together. Have you seen yourself as that pot? I have. The Lord is the potter. And your life is clay in his hands. I don't know if you've noticed how he reformed it and kept reforming it. And the Lord spoke to me as I went to the potter's house this week. And he said, Phil... Don't get hung up as I'm reforming and remaking your life. There was a, it looked like just a clump of clay. And then he brought it up and there were times he pushes his hands down in it and he's reforming this thing. And there were times when he thought he's deforming it. Have you noticed that? It looked like he was deforming this thing. But he kept moving and kept working and changing. And many times, as my life is deformed and reformed, I know I get hung up in what I look like now. This 
single experience or season in my life. And if you do that, dear brother, sister, you're going to lose the hope of the resurrection in the cross that you're taking up today. Because God is a potter. And you and I are his clay. And every one of our lives are in his hands. And he is taking every day and its experiences are the handiwork of his hands on your life and mine. And he has a mind. In his mind, he knows exactly how he wants to shape your life, your attitude, the inner man on the inside, what he wants it to look like, the image of Jesus Christ. But we haven't, God isn't finished until the day we take our last breath. So don't get discouraged, dear brother or sister, in whatever mold you're on, if you feel like, finally I'm beginning to feel and look like a pot. Or maybe you're just in the smokestack experience. You know, you wonder, you don't even resemble a pot yet. You're too narrow and there's no, you're not hollow enough inside to hold much of anything. God is taking your life and my life and he's shaping it. And it's not your will or your desire that can make you a pot. You can't take your life in your own hands and make yourself the image of Jesus Christ. I cannot conform myself into his image. And yet so often I get this inner focus that somehow when I get taken up by the experience and I say, now I will. I will be strong, Lord, today. I won't complain. I won't grumble. I'll rejoice today in this experience. And it's like I'm trying to form myself into Christ's image. Have you ever tried that? It's never worked well for me. It always has ended up discouraging me because it just didn't work well. And even if I thought... I triumphed through the experience and I got through it without complaining or I got through it without arguing or I got through... Then this boastful pride of life wells up in my heart. And I go, well, there that is. I know I'm just full of hot air right now. Like blowing up a balloon. And so there's no inner strength there. And my inner man feels like a bunch of hot air blown up instead of rivers of water. But the hope and the yielding, the hope and faith that Christ has been resurrected and God is now at work in me to form that resurrected life in me, my inner man, and I am the handiwork of his hands. And he's taking all kinds of... His knowledge, His power, and His hands informing my life that I don't know what it's all going to look like yet. It has not yet appeared what I shall be. 1 John chapter 3. It has not yet appeared what we shall be like. Do you know exactly what God wants you to look like? I don't. 
I have these revelations in my mind that I think of what Jesus looks like and I think of how perfect he is and I, I think he would relate to a situation like this. But I, it's so amazing to me that almost every time that revelation seems to change in the experience of it. And I go, what are you, what are you doing, God? This isn't what I thought I would look like going through this experience. And you'll be discouraged by that unless you have faith and a yielded spirit. Not just walking around a broken spirit. Not my will, not my will, and I'm broken. Proverbs says, a broken spirit, who can bear? I think the church has become a a place where there's so many broken spirits, sincere broken spirits, but the death, the stench of death It's so strong, who can bear it? And so if you only walk around with a broken spirit, your family is going to have a hard time bearing up with you. And the church and your community and your workplace, unless your faith is that, yes, I'm broken, but I'm broken to be yielded like this clay and worked through my Father's hands. Verse 6, then the word of the Lord came to me, verse 5, saying, Can I not, O house of Israel, deal with you as this potter does? Declares the Lord, Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. In Philippians chapter 1, I was so encouraged with this letter to the Philippians this week. With this truth, because Philippians is a a letter to Christians who are under heavy persecution and were from the day the church was birthed. The church was birthed in persecution and to this day we're being persecuted. And... Paul writes this letter to them in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know how I've read that verse for years? I am confident of this very thing, that God who began a good work in me will help me perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. Is that how you're reading it? That somehow God needs your help in His perfecting your life. Are you trying to help Him perfect it? If you are, you'll experience what I did. A constant struggle when His hands are forming my life. And I struggle with it and I wonder why this and why that. And there's this constant, instead of having the attitude that was in Jesus, who when he found himself in the fashion of a man, he just humbled himself underneath his father and said, I don't know what I'm all supposed to look like. I don't think Jesus had a clue of all the miracles he was going to do, of how long he was going to be in the carpenter's shop. I don't think he knew that he would be almost 30 until his father gave him his ministry. 
publicly. I don't think he knew that the Spirit would drive him into the wilderness and he would have to endure those temptations, face the devil head on. I don't think he knew that he would come back into his hometown, Nazareth, and they would reject him wholesale and throw him, take him out to the outside of the city on a rock and want to try to kill him and throw him over. I don't think he knew that the scribes and Pharisees would reject him so strongly. He faced each circumstance day by day, just like you and I do. He didn't know exactly what his life was going to look like on the earth. He had to live it by faith. And so he humbled himself when he found himself in the flesh and blood. And he said, okay, Father, now I'm going to commit myself into your spirit and allow you to do with my life. I've just come to do your will, as he said in John 6, 7, and 8. I've come not to do my will. And this gives me the little window into his spirit and his attitude. He said, as I hear, I speak. And as I see my father do things, I do. So that tells me he didn't have this whole plan set out in front of him, mapped out by his father, like, you know, if they were in heaven and they rolled out the map and, and his father was the architect and all the building was there and he knew exactly the life he was going to do. He knew the end was going to be the cross. That he knew. But how he was going to get to that cross, that I don't think he knew. And that's why he was made in all things like us, like his brethren, Hebrews 2 tells us. So that he could relate to us who have to live by faith. He did too. He will perfect it in Ephesians chapter 2. Oh, I was so encouraged by this word. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions. Made us alive together with Christ by grace. You have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace, his divine favor in my life, in kindness. He's so kind. But the devil wants to tell you he's not that kind. When his hands are pushing down on the inside and you feel like you're getting hollow. When he's molding you on the outside or when he just kind of, you think you're starting to look like a pot and all of a sudden he kind of scraps you and, he, and the next thing you know you lost every form you thought you had. He's kind. Is your faith in his kindness as he's forming your life? Toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's through you believing that you're in his hands. And he knows what he's doing with you. It has not yet appeared to you. See, where I get in trouble is when I think I, it starts appearing to me. I got a revelation from the Lord. This is what he wants for me. This is what my life must all be about. This is what he's given me to do. Oh, he made me a daddy. Oh, he gave me a wife. I'm to be a husband. And I read the Bible. This is what my husband, a husband looks like. This is what he's supposed to do. 
He made me a daddy. Now I get to love this little boy. And, oh, I'm excited. I'm going to study how to be a good daddy. And now my heart fills with purpose on being a daddy. And then all of a sudden, the daddy thing doesn't turn out like I thought it was. Wait, what? He made me a daddy of a special needs child? What? What's going on here? I, I don't know how to be that kind of a daddy. Lord, you didn't tell me he was going to be, he wasn't going to walk and he wasn't going to sit and he wasn't going to talk to me and, what for daddy am I supposed to be now? And then all of a sudden he's gone and you're not a daddy anymore. Now what am I supposed to do? I thought you, you, you made me a daddy. You filled me with this revelation of what my life was going to be like. All of a sudden, he scrapped the pot and it just went back to being like a lump of clay. Now what? When you lose your job or the Lord calls you to move to a new place or all of a sudden things change up in your family life and relationships change in our church life or whatever it may be, God is every day molding and making a change. Did you notice how much that he was constantly changing it? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, that no one should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Do you know what all those good works look like? I have no idea. I used to think I know a lot of what it's going to look like for me. Oh, I know what a good husband does. I've read all those marriage books. And all of a sudden, your wife doesn't fit that woman in the book. Now what are you supposed to do? Lord, I hadn't read that she's like this. How am I supposed to love her now? Like Christ loves the church. How does Christ love you and me, the church? Oh, he loves us in every condition, in every state. Even when she disagrees with me, now how am I supposed to love her? How are we supposed to get through this, Lord? What? This guy isn't at all like I thought he was. He, what, what happened? I tell you my own testimony. I went through this very, very real in my heart when Christian died. Katie changed completely, I thought. I've been married to her for eight, six, 14 years. I thought I knew this woman really well. And all of a sudden, we stood there at the grave. I was bawling my eyes out. And she wouldn't shed a tear. I thought, are you a crazy woman? What? I knew she was grieving. Come on, let it out. No. I wanted to talk about him. She wanted to put all his stuff away and sell it and get rid of it the next week. Pretend it never happened. Are, are you crazy? We can't do that. This was, this was eight years of our life. You, you can't think. I got to talk about. Please don't preach about him, honey. It's so hard for me. I just would. I, I want to go on with my life. No, 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 no. I got to cry every day. Well, you, you don't miss him? 
Sure, I miss him, but not like that. It's like this sacred thing in my heart, but I have to have to go on with my life. You see how differently we relate to the master's hand changing our life? And it's not at all like you thought it was going to look like. Your attitude or hers. Someone told me a day after Christian died, a dear brother meant well, said to me, Phil, why aren't you like David? You know, David cried and fasted when his son from Bathsheba was laying there dying. And when they told him he was dead, he got up, washed his face, ate a good meal and said, Hey, he's not coming back. I'm going where he is, but now life is going to go on. Just be like that, Phil. I was like, yeah, that'd be nice. But somehow I can't make myself like that. I was just in the potter's hands. And my wife had to learn to love me all over again. Things she'd never seen in me in those 14 years. Because we had never walked through this experience before. And I had to learn to love her in ways that she had never experienced the death of her only son. And all things, all kinds of things came out of us that, that we didn't even know we would act like that. Dear brother, sister, not only must we respect and receive one another, respect and receive myself or Christ's work in me and yield to it, we must have that same yielding and love and respect for each other as we walk, see our wives, our husbands, our children, us as brothers and sisters, walk through those circumstances where the Master's hand is changing us because we all relate to it in our own personal way. How God created us and how He's forming our inner, our inner man to relate to it. And that's why the word in 1 Corinthians or in Romans, Romans 15 is important. In Romans chapter 15, he says to us, verse 7, Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. There is this acceptance of God's work in me and there must be an acceptance of God's work in you that I must accept you. How God is forming and molding you. Else I'll be like Mary. I mean, like Martha. Martha's, there were two things that bothered Martha. First, she was alone in the kitchen the day Jesus came to her house. She was alone in the kitchen. She was working really hard and she had a lot of work to do to make this meal for these at least 13 men. Hungry men who had walked probably all day. There was a lot of work to do. Do you feel any pressure, women? 13 men all of a sudden show up at your doorstep and they, they want a meal. There's a lot of work to do and you're in the kitchen. And your sister, she just sits down and hangs out with the men in the living room. Would that bother you? Oh, Martha wasn't so weird after all, was she? Can you relate to that bothering? 
And Jesus said, there's two things, Martha, that you're lacking. Actually, only one. But he said two first. One is, you're worried about a lot of things you shouldn't worry about. And secondly, you're bothered with your sister. That she's not like you in the kitchen helping you. She had a very different response to Jesus, Mary did, than Martha. Both were good. There was nothing wrong with Martha being in the kitchen. The wrong was, she was bothered. Worried about her own life, getting all this stuff done right for Jesus, and then bothered with her sister. And that's how I find my own Christian experience. When I'm wrestling with the Lord and Him working in my life, I soon get worried about that in my own life, this experience, and then I easily get bothered that others aren't worried about it. Others aren't dealing with it like I'm dealing with it. Especially those who are close in my family. My wife, my husband, my children. They should feel the same way I do about it. What's the matter with them, Lord? Tell them to come and help me. That attitude can be in my heart. Accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. In Timothy... Second Timothy, chapter 2, verse 20. And here he's talking in this context of an unashamed workman. Verse 20 says, Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. What are you cleansing yourself from? What things is the Holy Spirit saying that if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a useful to the master and he'll be prepared for every good work? It's that dying attitude. Any kind of attitude that Christ didn't have that I must cleanse myself from. Have this attitude which Christ had, and if I don't see that in me, I must cleanse myself first from that attitude. You see, I found in my life, dear brothers and sisters, I can do things right with a bad attitude. I can, I can go take out the trash with a bad attitude. I can serve my wife, I can serve my boys, but in my heart I have the attitude of Martha. Someone else should be helping me here. I can come early to church and set up the chairs or tear them all down, and I can think... Everybody else just comes and has it easy. Where's everybody else? I can cook a meal. Maybe you ladies, you do all this meal work for us and you can just see us wolf it down and you can... Is anybody thankful for my good dish? I remember my sister, Emmeline, when we were in our late teens growing up, there were four of us boys and we were working on the farm and we were hungry. I mean, we would get up at 4.30 to go milk the cows and we'd raid the cupboard and the fridge on the way out and we were coming in three hours later starving, wanted a big breakfast. And I remember one time my sister Emmeline made this really good batch of brownies. And I, I guess she had put a lot of thought and work into it. We boys didn't. Maybe it was cookies. And we came in, and we just, I mean, we woofed it down. We were just, we were, oh, these are delicious. And 
All of a sudden, she just burst out in tears. She started crying. And we were like, what's, the, what's your problem? What's the matter with you? We're telling you, your stuff is going to... She said, I worked for so long and so hard to make all this, and you devour them in minutes. <laughs> you ever felt like that? You put so much work into it, and everybody just devours it in minutes. I'm like, there goes all my work. It just evaporated. The Martha attitude in my life, in my home, when Christ sets not only the cross of death to my will, but in that cross is included serving him. Jesus said, he that serves me, him will my father honor. There is a service like Martha that Jesus was ready to honor. I actually think that Jesus was just getting ready to really compliment Martha. After Martha would have made that wonderful meal and they would have sat down, I think Jesus would have been very thankful and he would have just blessed her and, and she would have had everybody clap for Martha. But she completely missed it. It doesn't even read, tell us anything about that because of her attitude. Do you miss Jesus cheering in your life because of your attitude towards service? I have many times. I've realized I've missed the celebration and Jesus praising me. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, Then every man's work, God will praise every man. God praises us, brother, sister. He wants to praise you in your service to him. But he praises the attitude. Because you'll notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this is what it says. Notice what he's speaking towards. I'll read it real quickly. Paul says in verse 4, For I am conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted, but the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness what things are those? The things you don't see inside of me. And disclose the motives of men's hearts. That's what's hidden. My motive. And when he shows everybody the motive, you know what happens? Your motive is right. Then every man's praise will come to him from the Lord. You'll be praised by God when your motive is exposed. And it's a heart, an attitude of Jesus towards the cross in your life. Towards all the molding and working that he's doing in your life. And that makes you either a vessel of honor or a vessel of dishonor. Martha was the vessel of dishonor that day. And Mary was honored. And that's the only thing that we know about that experience in Martha and Mary's life. For some reason, the Holy Spirit didn't write down how the meal was or anything else that happened in the house that day except the attitude of Mary and the attitude of Martha. And to me, that's a illustration, a truth that God is setting before me and saying, Phil, that's what I really care about. 
And that's what I'll praise you when I reveal it. Now, Mary and Martha, I don't think they had any idea that their story would be written in the Bible. And you and I, 2,000 years later, would be talking about it. So God reminds me of the word in Malachi 4. And those who feared the Lord spoke often one to another. And the Lord heard it. And a book of remembrance was written down. So that the next generation and a thousand years later, they would read about it. And they would have a lesson from my life. The attitude I had at that moment. And God will disclose it. He'll expose my attitudes. And it will either be that you'll be praised by God and lifted up as an example. Follow them, me and them. When they experience the cross, be like them for the generations to come. Or they'll have to say, don't be like Martha. Don't be like Phil. Not in that situation. Bad attitude. See, so often I get caught up with my works, the things I do or do not do. Like God's praise deals with my attitude more than the works that I do. He's looking for disciples who will be his disciple every day and take up your cross with the attitude of Jesus Christ, the attitude of a resurrected life in him. That I get to experience this life with Jesus and the love that is shed abroad in my heart. Romans 5 says that while all these things come against me, it actually builds proven character and proven character doesn't make me ashamed. I don't have to walk around hanging my head inside because I know I've got a bad attitude. I can change that attitude. I can bring it to Jesus and say, Jesus, change that attitude in me. And he can. He can change if I let him, allow him to. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, Martha Oh, don't you wish, don't you think Martha wishes that she would have changed her attitude? That the story could end with Martha saying, You're right, Lord. You're right. Please forgive my sin and just take maybe 20 minutes or 30 minutes and just sit in with Mary and enjoy Jesus. I don't know if she did. It doesn't say. I know that Jesus is in the attitude-changing business in my life. The attitude of His workmanship, where I'm not trying to do my own, form my own life, or upset when He changes everything up. Now, don't get discouraged with all these little moments of experiences because my heart gets filled with His purpose. A vessel of honor, useful for the Master. I have no clue what that's going to look like. But I know this experience is part of that experience. And so for that joy, I'll endure it. I'll let it work proven character in my life.